If you would please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, we will get back into our book of John in a few weeks, but the elders have asked me to just kind of teach through some uh, issues, some things that we're just looking at in our Constitution, and so I... Um, find myself just kind of almost preaching topically, but it's things that we need to hit, we need to understand from a biblical perspective. But it is my custom, and it is our custom here at Daniel's Bible Church to move through a passage, uh, through a book, slowly to, uh, to get the context. And uh, so we... We normally do that, but from time to time, we'll take uh, an opportunity just to focus on a particular issue as we are today. Let me begin reading Titus chapter 2. Let me just uh, first look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works or good deeds let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we thank you for allowing us to come before your throne Father you said where there's two or three gathered in your name that you would be there Lord we thank you to know that you are here We exalt you, Lord. We thank you for your presence in our life, your constant presence in our life. But Lord, because of your presence and because of your holiness, we're always aware of our sinfulness as well. And Father, I I, I come before you recognizing that we're a sinful people, undeserving of being in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ who died to cleanse us from our sins. Lord, we thank you for being a God who forgives. And we stand here today being able to preach your word and be able to listen to your word and being able to be together as forgiven people. Having our sins cleansed and covered under the blood of Christ. What a precious thought. What a wonderful gift that you have given us and we thank you for that may we not take it for granted we pray these things in jesus name amen our church is celebrating this year its existence of 125 years as a church 125 years back in 1888 the lewis family donated this property, this land, to the community, to the Daniels community, to establish a church, to build a church. And that's what they did. The original uh, building, of course, has burnt down. But um, since that time, this church, it wasn't called Daniels Bible Church at that time. It was a, it was a community church, and there was a circuit ride and preachers basically that would come through they would be the methodist they would be the presbyterian they would be the baptist pastors and it would be uh you know it was a different sunday but it was basically the same people and much of the doctrine was the same and uh, that's the way things were 
we don't do those things these days. We, we have, we are Daniel's Bible Church. Um, in 19, I think, 69, we took that title. Might have been earlier than that. Um, we took the, the, the title of Daniel's Bible Church and, and we hold the Bible up as something that we exalt. We exalt God's Word here. Now, it's been exalted for 125 years from this pulpit, from this church. And we exalt the Word of God because we exalt God. We put God in His rightful place. We exalt His Word. We may refine things as we go, as time goes by, and we refine our thinking. But that's the Christian life, isn't it? It is. We are renewing our minds on a daily, on a constant basis. We refine. It's a refining process. Much like you would, you would look into binoculars. And you have the little turn button on the binoculars. And you just get it right into focus so it's clear. But it takes a little bit to get it in focus. And, and sometimes even as a church we are doing that. It's a refining process. We refine our thoughts to, to make sure our thoughts are consistent with the Word of God. We refine our actions. I like what Paul told Titus, that their actions should be according to sound doctrine. And I like that. So we're refining our actions. We look at that and we, we say, no, you know what, that's not pleasing to God. So we refine, we change, we change it a little bit. The sound doctrine. We even change are re-refining our doctrine even at times, not changing it as far as drastic changes, but we want it to, to reflect the Word of God more accurately. It's kind of like when I was in Sunday school as a young boy and the teacher would teach me about Christ dying on the cross and I would learn a, a little bit there. But then uh, as I grew, my capacity begin to grow a little bit. When I got to Bible college, they taught me the significance of Christ's death on the cross and how important that was for us. And then I, as I went to, uh, to, on to seminary, they just dumped on you. Everything that everybody has said about Christ dying on the cross. And you had to read it all. Good, bad, or indifferent. You had to know it. And then you begin to realize how profound of a truth it is. How sobering. And how significant. How important. And how heavy. And how weighty it is. But it's, it's becoming more clear sometimes in our mind. As we grow and as we understand the Word of God more, things become clearer. And that's what we want to focus on today is Christ's death. What was the purpose of Christ's death? And we need to understand that. We're talking about the atonement. That's the theological term, the atonement. And we often ask the question, for whom did Christ die? And we always want to know, well, who did Christ die for? But it, many times we try to ask that question before we even realize, before we, we have a proper understanding, a good understanding of the purpose of the atonement. Why did Christ die? And that's, that's talking about the effect, the effect of the atonement. 
what it was and how it affected our lives. And, and really, we need to focus on that. What was the atonement before we begin to look at the extent of the atonement for whom did Christ die? You see the difference? We, we need to under the, understand the effect before we understand the extent. So often we jump and, and just begin to argue things that we really don't understand. And many times, uh, many times we, we kind of do that. And so we, we need to understand the atonement. We need to understand from Scripture what exactly happened. What was the purpose of Christ's death on the cross? And we want to focus our attention on that a little bit. There's some people that would say, that Christ's atonement was merely a, um, a, a moral influence. It was a, and liberals would hold to this, it was just a moral influence. It was a positive example of love in action. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's admirable. Man, that's great, actually. It's a good thing. But the atonement was a lot more than that. Some people would see that the atonement is simply Christ um, buying back, or they see it as a ransom, that Christ is buying back the sinners from Satan. We are under Satan's domain, Satan's rule. So it's kind of like a gaining victory over evil kind of thing. Buying back the sinners from Satan. Some people would see the atonement as... A satisfying uh, appeasement, maybe? Uh, appeasing God's honor because he was offended because of man's sinfulness. We have robbed God of his glory because of our sins. And so we, we have to appease God. And so the atonement is, is that. And you see kind of nuggets of truth in all of this. But let me give you a better definition of the atonement. It was a, a penal substitution. And what do I mean by that? means something that is we're taking a punishment for or a penalty for penal substitution in which Christ stood in the legal place of sinners bearing the just judgment or just punishment due us because of our transgressions. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. It, this is a, a penal substitution. This is because of uh, a punishment for our sins. And it's a substitutionary atonement in which Christ legally stands in the place of sinners bearing a just punishment for our sins. Now, you've got to see it in Scripture. You need to understand it in Scripture before we uh, just begin to define it. So turn over to Leviticus chapter 4, verse 22. Now, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today, so I just want you to be aware of that and be ready. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 22. When a leader sins, when a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of all of the things which the Lord his God has commanded him not to be done, and he becomes guilty. So you get the situation. There's a leader a leader representing the nation of Israel, and he, he commits a sin. Verse 23, if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, even if he's not aware of his sin, he is still guilty. 
If somebody else has to come alongside and point out and he realizes, oh, you know what, you're right, I've committed a sin, a something that was um, contrary to God's word, here's what he is to do. He shall bring for his offering a goat, a male, without defect. Three things there, a male goat that is perfect. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the male goat and slay it in the place where they slay the burnt offering before the Lord. And it is a sin offering. And you get the picture there. Puts his hand here on the goat and slits the goat's neck. Blood has to be shed. Then the priest and it's, uh, is to take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and he is to put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and the Can you hear me? Boy, that's a bad place to to give out. Look at verse 26. All its fat he shall offer up in smoke on the altar, as in the case of the fat of uh, sacrifice, of peace offering. Thus the priest shall make an atonement, make atonement for him in regards to his sin, and he will be forgiven. That's an atonement. You understand that the, the, the blood of uh, bulls and goats cannot take away sin. You understand that. The New Testament tells us that. This is just a picture of what? This is a picture of what is to come. This is a picture of Christ. But this is a, this is a picture of a substitutionary sacrifice. This man should have died, but instead of him dying, the goat died. The goat was killed. Now, let me show you another example of this. Turn back to uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. And this is even a, a better picture of Christ. Genesis chapter 22. We begin reading in verse 2. Now you know the context here. You know this uh, story. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. Now this is, this is Abraham's son. He, he has uh, been praying for and he finally gets a son, an heir to his, to his uh, uh, property and the things that he was given by the Lord. Look at verse 7. So, so right away Abraham takes his son and begins to move off and they go toward the mountain which God will show them. Verse 7 Isaac spoke to Abraham. He said father and he said uh, uh, my uh, he said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, I, I see the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? There has to be a lamb. That's the most important part. And I love Abraham's response here. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked together. Now look at the, this is the crucial point, verse 10, and Abraham stretches out his hands and takes the knife to slay his son. He's going to go through with it and the angel stops him and says, Abraham, stop. Now look at verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket 
by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the, the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. Folks, that's an atonement. That's an atonement sacrifice. Taking the the punishment. It was supposed to be Isaac on that sacrifice. Isaac that was to die. But uh, Abraham passed the test. And and Isaac didn't have to, to die. God provided for them a substitutionary atonement. And that becomes a, a picture of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to see this picture. You need to, you need to get the big picture. You need to see it. This is what an atonement is. We have to understand it from the biblical standpoint or we will mess it up. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. This is a picture of Christ. Surely our grief He Himself bore. Our sorrows He carried. And we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And He was pierced through for our transgressions. And He was crushed for our iniquity. And the chastisement... For our well-being was placed or fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. We have all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. You understand there, this is a substitutionary sacrifice. He took on Himself our sins. And He paid for those sins on the cross. The full wrath of God, actually. Turn over to Matthew. Let's see what the New Testament has to say about this. This is, just a, this is the Old Testament. It was pictures of Christ to come. But look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, 20 verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, this is Christ's own words, but to... He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He came to die. Now let's look at that death over in Matthew 27. He's there hanging on the cross. His blood is, is dripping down. His blood is being shed. And this is an important part of the sacrifice Chapter 27 and verse... We'll just look at verse 20, uh, 46. And about the ninth hour, this is toward the end, Christ cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's important for us to understand the significance of that. Because death is what? Death is separation. Look down at verse, uh, tw- uh, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and He yielded up His Spirit. Now, this is important because sacrifice means death. It means death. Death is separation from the body and the Spirit. And you see that here. It was clear. Christ gave up the ghost. He gave up His Spirit. His Spirit left the body. There's a separation there. But there's also, verse 46, the separation of what? God the Father and God the Son. In fact, what it is, it's a separation from man, Jesus Christ, from 
the life giver, the creator, God. You have that separation as well. That's death. That's, that's a significant death. When God turns his back on that sin, he can't look at that sin. That's, that's death. That's a spiritual death. And, and he, he died that death and he died the, the physical death. He took upon himself our punishment. And that was, that's true punishment. He took it upon himself. We are sinful people. Blood must be shed. And it wasn't our blood, it was Christ's blood. We see that. Turn over, let's see what Paul says about the atonement. I just want to, again, I just want you to see what, what an atonement is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. I'll just start in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciled. Bringing the two together. Now look at the verse, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin, that's Christ. He didn't know sin. He was that perfect lamb, blameless He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. In Christ. It was a substitutionary atonement. He took upon himself our sin and he died for that sin. It's important that we understand that. And Paul makes it very, very clear. Turn over... Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3.13, another verse that Paul mentions concerning the atonement. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, for us. He became that curse. It was a substitutionary atonement, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became that curse for us. That was supposed to be our curse. Those were our afflictions. Those were our bruises and blood. But he took them upon himself. Let me give you one more. See what Peter says about this atonement. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You can't get any more specific than that. That is what the atonement is. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. It's a penalty paid, a legal penalty paid for our sins. He bore our sins for us and he took upon himself our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we are healed. That is substitutionary atonement. That's what an atonement is. Now before we go any further, we've got to just get a glimpse of salvation. What salvation is. Because this is, this is getting really close to this salvation pack. This is, this is exactly what it is. And we have to understand that. It, we have to understand the atonement. 
before we can understand, really understand salvation. He took our place, our sin upon Him. He took our place in the punishment of God. We, um, so let's look at, let's look at salvation, understand salvation quickly. We, we've already seen that man is a spiritual, is spiritually dead and separated from God. We call that the doctrine of, um, total depravity. Because of sin, man is dead, cannot respond to anything spiritual, completely dead. And salvation then is God reaching down and rescuing man out of that sinful state. That's what salvation is. It's being reconciled with God. Through Christ, we are reconciled back to the life giver. That's Christ. And so we talk about salvation as being born again. That's exactly what it is. Now, because we are not able to respond, salvation has to be from God. We are dead. Dead men cannot respond. So salvation is from God. And we see in Scripture, consistent from Scripture, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, Paul says. So it wasn't as, boy, God was saying, boy, I I really like the way this guy turned out. I... He's got hair. He's good looking. I'm going to choose him. Now, this was before the foundation of the world. He chose. And then he calls. He calls them. He draws them to Christ. And remember, we talked about in John that we are this love gift that that God is giving the Son. And he draws them. And he grants them repentance. And he gives them faith to believe. and um, And he gives them understanding of spiritual things. That we see that. And man's responsibility is just to respond in faith. We just are to believe. Now that's important for us to understand in understanding salvation. Turn over to John. We've been looking at John a little bit. We see a condition. John 3, um, 15. Let's, let's do John three fifteen. I'll begin reading in 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him have eternal life. You believe. There's a condition here. You must believe. And then you can have eternal life. It's a condition of belief. God God grants us repentance. He gives us this faith. He gives us this understanding. And we are just, we respond and just, yes, Lord, that's what, that is right. And we believe it. We put our faith and trust in Christ. God's working in our life. Now, here's what happens if we don't. Look over at John 8. John chapter 8, verse 21. And he said to them again, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins and where I, where I go you cannot come. Now Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here and he's just being so blunt, so clear. They're going to die in their sins. Look in verse 24. Therefore I say to you, I said to you that you will die in your sins. That's pretty heavy. He's talking about eternal death, complete separation from the life giver, complete separation from God forever and ever, eternity. 
If they die in their sins, if they're hanging on to their sins, they will die in their sins and they will be completely separated from God for unless you believe that I am He. There's a condition there. We will all die in our sins. Notice that we are still in our sins. We will die in our sins unless we believe. And he says, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe, you will die in your sins. And all of the consequences that come with that. Now what does that say about the atonement? Here's what I want you to see. Just quickly. Basically, that was introduction. So we're going to go very quickly here. Try to get through at least one point. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the, here's the point. Christ's death was effective enough to reconcile to God every sinner that would ever live. This atoning sacrifice, Christ's death, was effective enough to reconcile to God every sinner that would ever live. It had power. That was the effect of the atonement. It had power to reconcile everyone to himself. Yet, it was specific. When we look at Scripture, it was specific enough. It was specifically for those, for everyone who would put their faith or who would, who would um, believe in him. Listen, past, present, and future. Past, present, future. You put your faith, you believe in him, and Christ died for you. That's what we see. And that's the extent of the atonement. That's the extent. Did Christ die for the church? Absolutely. But he also died for Adam, who was not in the church. He was not even in Israel. It was Adam. He died for, um, for Noah. He died for Abraham. He died for Israel. He died for the church. He died for those who will, who will be the martyrs in the book of Revelation. He died for everyone who would put their faith in Christ Jesus. Because it was a substitutionary atonement. He died for their sins. And they put their faith and trust in Him. And believe in Him. And they would not die in their sins any longer. Their sins would be covered in Christ. Now we must understand this. Because some people today are, don't have the right understanding of the atonement. Of what Christ actually accomplished on the death. And that's the question that we're going to answer just probably in the next couple of weeks. But the question is, what, what was accomplished at Christ's death? And there's three key elements here, three key elements to the atonement that I want us to see. Christ's death accomplished, number one, Christ's death accomplished a full atonement and not a partial atonement. Okay? A full atonement. Everything that Christ was to accomplish, He accomplished it on the cross. It was satisfactory to God and God's justice and God's righteousness and God's God's court, let's say. Christ's atonement was a substitutionary, penal substitutionary atonement for our sins. Look, Christ took upon Himself the full wrath of God for all of our sins took upon himself the wrath of God. All of that wrath that God had for our sins were placed upon Christ. And he bore bore the full punishment due us 
upon himself on the cross. Now, it's important that we understand that much because here's a question for you. If Christ, or or, or why was Christ's wrath, I'm sorry, why is God's wrath still upon men? If this is some kind of universal atonement that he died for every single individual person, if it was some kind of universal atonement, then why is God's wrath upon some men? Men who don't believe, men and women who don't put their faith in Christ. Why is that? And in some way, there's something lacking about this atonement. It's not quite right. Because, because God is still punishing mankind. And let's put it another way. Why do, why do men pay the penalty for their own sins? If Christ paid the penalty on the cross for their sins as a substitutionary atonement, then why are men and women still being put in hell? That's a serious question. Let's look at some of these. Look, turn over to Romans chapter eight. We'll start at Romans chapter eight. <clears throat> we'll stay in the book of Romans for a little bit. I want you to see this. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those listen who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, God's wrath, God's condemnation, is not on you any longer. Why? Because of the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've been freed from that because he paid that penalty for us. For what the law did, or for the, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an, as a, as an offering for sin. He, com- he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us so um, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Christians walk according to the Spirit. Therefore, we are in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to us. Do you understand that? It's important. Turn back. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. How are we justified? It's by His blood. By His blood. We shall be saved from what? From the wrath of God through Him. Turn back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. We see that condition there, the gospel and to salvation to everyone who believes. If you believe, look at verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, God's wrath is still upon man. Now, you begin to understand that the definition of the atonement is very important. The definition of a substitutionary sacrifice of Christ 
Was it for the whole world? If it, if it was, if it was for every single individual, every sin that would ever be committed, then how can man be still under the wrath of God? Look, at, uh, look back at John. John chapter 3, verse 18. He who believes in him, he who believes in him is not judged... But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in his name, in the name of the only Son, only begotten Son of God. Men are going to go to hell. Men and women are going to go to hell because they do not believe. They do not believe. Therefore, they are not covered under the atonement of Christ. Look at verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not, be, uh, does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We've got a lot of people that the wrath of God abides on him. Now, there's some people that would say, well, Christ's atonement died for every sin that was ever be committed by every single individual. And why is God still angry? Why is, why is that? If, if we do not believe, God's wrath still abides up on us. Now remember, definition, substitutionary atonement. Look over 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Try to make this even more clear. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. Um, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. You get the picture here. This is, this is in the last days. Dealing out retribution to those who, who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. They will pay for their sins. That is a pretty good indication that Christ did not cover their sins. Because they have not placed their faith and trust in Christ. And let me ask you today, let me just plead with you today. If you are not in Christ, you are in this situation. The wrath of God is upon you. And if you would die in your sins, you would spend eternal destruction away from God. Now, what does that look like? Turn over to Matthew. Matthew gives us a pretty graphic description of this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me give you another one. Mark chapter 9. Verse 47 and 48. I'm moving quickly here, I know. Mark chapter 9, verse 47 and 48 gives us a, a great picture here, a very graphic picture. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, where's your priorities, he's saying? Stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with, with one eye than having two eyes and to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
You will pay for your sins if you die without Christ. That's, that's sobering. Here's what the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible doesn't teach double jeopardy. I'll try to give you an example of this. If I'm in court and I stand before the judge and he bangs the gavel down and he says, Guilty. Carl Dingus, you have been found guilty. And he said, the fine is a, a $250. And I say, well, I don't have $250. I can't come up with that. And so someone comes alongside and says, hey, um, here's $250. Let's, let's say that's Pastor Flager. Pastor Flager says, ah, here's $250. And the judge says, okay, I'll take that. Here's $250 from, uh, from Pastor Flager for Carl's fine. The penalty that Carl owed was $250. He takes the $250 from Pastor Flager. And then he says, bang, the gavel goes down again. Carl Dingus, you still owe $250. Now that's, that's exactly what we, we're saying here. Christ paid for the sins of every single person in the entire world who will ever exist. And yet, they die in their sins. And, and uh, Christ, God bangs the hammer down and says, you will pay the just punishment for your sins. If Christ has already paid for it, then it's double jeopardy to, uh, to have them pay for it. Listen, Jesus paid it all. He, he paid it all. But when we look at the reality of life, We see people that are still living in their sins. We see people who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know they're going to die and go to hell. Jesus has not paid for their sins. If they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we can say, yes, yes, Jesus paid for your sins. There has to be some kind of limit to this atonement. There has to be. If you don't, you will have universalism where we, we will all just go to heaven. It's all been covered. It's all been paid for. for their, so therefore, we're all going to heaven. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people that believe that. And that believe the Bible teaches that. But we, we see that in Scripture. The condition is that they must believe. They must believe. Now, let me say it like this. Here's what I think has happened. I think we've kind of changed our definition of an atonement, of an atonement that will, will, will fit everybody. It's so much easier to evangelize by saying, hey, God loves you. Christ died for all of your sins. All you have to do is choose this gift. Well, let's be, let's just focus a little bit and make it a little bit more biblically accurate here. We have to be very careful what we say. And then say, look, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're still under God's wrath. Now, that doesn't sound... People don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear about sin today. But it's just what we have to talk about. Christ was always preaching repentance. John the Baptist was preaching repentance. We start with the sin. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then all that sin is covered. All of that sin is taken care of. If we change the atonement, it's going to be an atonement that doesn't pay for sin. And that doesn't help anyone. No one's going to get to heaven. It's an atonement that doesn't pay for sin. 
It's an atonement that's not a substitutionary atonement. You mean Christ didn't die for them? Uh, It's an atonement that doesn't really satisfy the demands that God has. doesn't satisfy the justice of God. And we so easily want to make the gospel more palatable. And so I think we change it. But when we look at Scripture, the, the atonement is so clear. It's a substitutionary atonement. And, it, and it, the only way to get under that atonement is to believe. That's what we must do. We must believe. Anything else is not a full atonement. It's some kind of partial atonement. It's some kind of atonement that that doesn't fit the definition in Scripture. But that's what you've seen it. This is what atonement is. So we have to be very careful about saying, yes, Christ died for every single sin of every person that will ever live. And you can limit... Can say, well, I believe in unlimited atonement. It sounds so loving, but you will come up with a universalism. It just is. There's no two. There's only two options. It's a. It's some kind of limit on the atonement, or there's some kind of universalism. And you're limiting the atonement in some way. Either you will limit the extent of the atonement to to whom for whom did Christ die, or you will limit the power of the atonement, the effect of the atonement. Do you understand that? And I think that's what we've done today. We've kind of weakened down the atonement. It has no power. It really can't do anything. It doesn't really save you from anything. It's just, just kind of there. It's kind of a, it's kind of a quasi a little atonement there to make God feel good until, uh, until later or something. That's not the atonement that we see from Scripture. And it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder to to understand, it's a little bit harder to explain. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll draw it to a conclusion here. Obviously, it won't get through, but we'll come back to it next week or a couple weeks. You say, well, what about all the world? Christ died for the world. What about all the all verses in Scripture? I, I'm not ignoring them. We will look at them. In fact, I'll try to look at them in detail. But what we have to understand is we have to understand the atonement first. And I tell you, when you look at the atonement, it's a sobering fact. And it doesn't match with much of what I hear in Christendom today of the way we present the gospel. It'd be fun and be be great to present the gospel as some loving God has done this and and, uh, all you have to do is this. But it's, it's a little bit more... Sobering than that. You you must be serious. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then we can say, yes, God died for your sins and He covered it all. It's complete satisfaction. It was an atonement that was full. It It worked. It worked. There's nothing else that you have to do. It was a full atonement. We'll come back to this, but let me just... It was an actual atonement, not a, not a potential atonement. And it was an atonement for the world, not just for the Jews. Let me go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray today that you would use your word. It has gone out. That it would, it would work in people's hearts and, and people would understand this. This is a complicated issue. It's not, it's not simple. 
It's deep theology. But Lord, it's so crucial. It's so important. I pray for understanding. I pray for understanding. And Lord, then I come to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a Savior. And, and, and we thank You for providing Him to, to be the take the place of our sin and take the punishment for our sin and for Him to bleed instead of us to bleed and for, for Him to die instead of us to die. Lord, I, I just thank You for Christ's death. Help us to get a, a proper understanding of this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.